me, your host, Sean Lynn, in the pub for a dram with friends where we talk about faith, family, food, and fun. Pull up a chair and I'll pour you a drink. Episode 11. We sit down with an, our old friend, Bishop Emeritus Frederick Emery. Thank you for your example and service. Welcome to another episode of A Dram with Friends, where we talk about faith, family, food, and fun. We are extremely excited today because we have Bishop Emeritus Fred Henry joining us in the pub. Welcome, Bishop Henry. Thank you, Sean. Well, nice to be with you. Well, I, I am going to pour myself uh, a Kilbegan. Now, the reason for that is my 18-year-old daughter is over in Ireland right now with the net ministries and she just got assigned on sunday to the kilbegan area so i thought it appropriate to pour that tonight hey, that's a wonderful connection what are, what, it, it looks like crown royal there that you have yes i have uh someone gave me this gift here and i thought this was an appropriate stage to uh once again, look at this Crown Royal Limited Edition. It's pretty smooth stuff. I was I was looking at that online the other day. So I'll, I'll get your assessment at the end here and tell me tell me whether it's worth getting a bottle. So who who is Bishop Fred Henry? Who? Wow, that's a difficult question. I've been wondering that occasionally myself. Who am I? Well, I think that. Uh, I guess you start with your origins and uh, going back to family. I'm the oldest of uh, my family. I have four younger brothers. Um, both my parents are now deceased. And uh, I think three of my brothers now are retired. I have one who is still working, but uh, we come from different backgrounds and we're very different from one another. Actually, my one brother is a former social worker. Another was postmaster. Uh, another is a computer programmer, and the other terms in terms of management restaurants. So we have a wide variety of background. My mother always used to say that she must have done something wrong raising her kids because none of us turned out to be very rich. We, we all were in, at one stage in helping professions, and she was shaking her head saying, I can't understand this. What did I do wrong? We all reassured her. Of course, she didn't do anything wrong at all. No, I'm sure she was extremely proud of uh, all her kids, uh, but especially uh, you as you grew up to become a priest. And uh, I know that's a parent's wish for, for in many a Catholic family, so I'm sure you made her proud. Well, I don't know about that. She, uh, she always used to say to me, especially once I became a bishop, why are you so prominent in media. Why, why does it have to be you to stand up and say these things? And, and of course, one of my brothers would run into the same sort of thing and then say, are you related to that guy that's in the news? And, and my brother would say, well, 
it depends. Is it something good you want to comment on or something bad? And they would deny or admit relationships accordingly. Well, I've got to say that uh, you're like a spiritual father to me because uh, I was just reignited in our faith, Michelle and I, as you were coming into Calgary as our new bishop. Uh, it was shortly thereafter. In fact, uh, you were installed on March 19th, 1998, and we had our very first God Squad conference on March 20th, and you came and gave us uh, your opening blessing uh, and then ran out because you, uh, your family was still here. You were going for supper, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you've done to help foster God Squad over the years. Well, thank you. I, it's a good relationship, and it's always something I've been very proud of because one of the, the things I'm absolutely convinced of is that one of the principal responsibilities of a bishop is to empower people. And whatever you can do to kind of build relationships and uh, tell people how important they are and what they have to do and, and to kind of stand on the sidelines and cheer once they try, then uh, you feel pretty good about it. Well, you alluded to it earlier, and, and I know the men very much appreciated uh, what you did here in Calgary, but like you were in the news quite a bit uh, from your very first day where you were calling out Ralph Klein for the VLTs going into the hotels. What, why, why did you feel the conviction to, to speak out? On, on many issues? Well, I've always felt that uh, God gave me a voice and he gave me opportunity. And uh, so the first couple of times this sort of thing happened, I had no idea what was gonna take place, but I just simply walked into the room and said, come Holy Spirit, let's go for it. And I believe very much from the beginning of uh, what John Paul II used to say, be not afraid. And so I remember when they were planning the installation ceremony for me to come to Calgary. They were all concerned about the liturgy because they hadn't done one of these for quite some time. And of course, they wanted to know what my preferences were. And I said, I don't care what you do. Just put it on. Let's get it done when we start to work. But I said, there is one stipulation I want to make. I said, I don't care what you do with the liturgy, but please do not sing. Be not afraid. I said, because I'm not afraid. I'm not coming here with my knees knocking or my stomach in, in turmoil. I said, I believe that I've been sent here by the Holy Spirit. I've got a job to do, and he's going to give me what I need to do it. So I'm not afraid. So don't sing that. Well, that's been kind of one of my kind of pet uh, mottos, I guess, which had spurred me on was John Paul II, where he was constantly telling people, be not afraid. And uh, I believe in the powerful presence of the Pope, uh, his selection, the Holy Spirit, the church. And so if I've got something to do, he will give me what I need to do it. So fear has not really figured very prominently in my mind. So even when I started here in Calgary and I was met at the airport and they asked me, uh, I was trying to sneak in actually. I, I didn't want anybody to know I was here because I wanted to find out where I would live and a little bit about the diocese. I was going to sneak in, sneak out. But somehow the word got out and a reporter met me at the, uh, the airport. 
and uh, along with a cameraman and, and was kind of doing the usual welcome to Calgary stuff. And, and then he said, uh, just in passing, and I, and I didn't think too much about it, he said, what do you think about VLTs? <laughs> and uh, this was out of the clear blue sky, but I said, well, the sooner we can banish and trash them, the better off our society is going to be. And before I knew it, then I had already set an agenda. And then the next day, there was a big meeting at the pastoral center with media people who wanted to talk to me. And I, once again, like, walked into one of the rooms of the pastoral center, and there were more cameras and microphones than I had ever seen before in my whole life. And uh, I said, I don't know what's going on here, but I walked in, I said silently to myself, come Holy Spirit. And lo and behold, I find myself in the midst of a major controversy with the premier of the province. And uh, this whole question of gambling became a big issue. And uh, we kind of started off with a bang and uh, I just found my feet hitting the road running and I never stopped. Now I'm kind of bored because people say, who are you fighting with these days? Well, I'm not fighting with anybody, unfortunately. Well, and I can tell you uh, my time working the street, just how prophetic you were. Uh, I remember I worked Forest Lawn Penbrook in the TNC Hotel. They were one of the first places to get the VLTs. And there were two staff members there that lost $30,000. And I'm guessing that's what their take home was for that year. Uh, it and I'll never forget this was years later when you challenged the Knights of Columbus to get off the the gravy train of working the casinos that uh, going and talking to this woman who told me at a halfway house that she'd kick crack cocaine she'd kick coke she but she couldn't kick gambling so uh you you were so prophetic in, in knowing what the diocese needed. Well, it was just one of those moments and maybe it's the question of timing and the Holy Spirit and opportunity and the door opens, you walk through it. And uh, I believe we did something good for the society. We at least raised the question. And uh, we pointed out that sometimes the biggest addict is the government itself, which profits so much from the, the weakness and the suffering of other people. And some of that money, which should be going to support families and so on, gets sidetracked and goes into the pockets of big corporations who are standing behind the casinos and sometimes maybe some criminal elements. So I, I just thought this is one of those social ills that we have to look at and we've got to name it, call it, and do what we can to shut it down. Well, and I know that uh, it it also challenged the men because uh, we had become uh, at the Knights of Columbus. It had become like an easy easy money to do whatever they needed to do to 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 fund projects in the church, and then they were all of a sudden challenged. Okay, how how do I? serve the people of my parish and raise some funds in a proper manner. So uh, I know that left, uh, left some, some Knights of Columbus's challenged on how to properly serve God. And I appreciated it. And I know one of our former uh, God Squad board members, Dave Witte, 
you had given them a timeline of two and a half years or something to wean off and uh, he took it to the next night's major Alberta meeting and said, look, the Bishop wants us to get rid of it. Let's just do it. Yeah. He, he well, I realized it was guy. deeply ingrained in our way of life and it was hard to let go of something like that, but it's easy money. It was easy to get. You didn't have to work very hard for it, but you had to look at where it was coming from. And uh, I regarded it as a recessive form of taxation on the poor. And that was simply wrong. We can't afford to do that sort of thing. If we are people of the gospel, we must never treat people badly, especially the poor, not take advantage of others' weakness or their physical situation or the limitations they might be experiencing. Uh, we got to take the high road, even if it costs us personally. And so for me, this was a pretty black and white issue, but boy, it did take some persuasion and um, a lot of talking and arguing and uh, getting kind of uh, attacked from left and right and so on. But uh, I felt it was the right thing to do, and I still believe in it. Well, and I I support you wholeheartedly, and and I I know you're you're you talked about be not afraid, and I ended up investigating a few complaints of threats and uh, against you and uh, and you could care less. Uh, you're going let martyrdom come if it's meant to be. I I'm ready. Uh, where you it was the staff that got more more excited than you and uh so uh i i know that uh you didn't you didn't fold too easily uh to to any pressure one way or the other so well i guess maybe that's because i'm short i gotta have <laughs> sharp elbows to survive and and i'm a fighter so uh i've uh i was always told by my father you're only a little guy so Pick your fights carefully. Uh, but I don't think I've always done that. I've just walked in and said, what's the right thing to do? And if it's the right thing to do, then it's worth standing up for no matter what it may cost you. And uh, some times people try and intimidate you or bully you. And uh, I just said, I'm not giving in. I'm going to be true to myself. I really only have one person to answer to, and that's to God. And I don't want to kind of looking at me and saying, you had it right, but you caved in. Uh, I, I, there'll be many other things you'll be able to, to go after me on, but I didn't want him to be able to say, you know, I gave you the strength, I gave you opportunity, but you caved in at the last minute. I said, Lord, I'm going for this. And held firm. Well, and yeah, you, you uh, for our American friends that might not know the history, you, you took on former prime ministers uh, that were, from our diocese, you uh, you were threatened by sitting prime ministers with your uh, charitable tax status, and uh, you, you had no problem calling out the province uh, right to the very end. So, Well, sometimes it even got interesting because as a result, one time I remember when I was uh, giving some of the government a hard time about some stuff, I got warned that I was going to be audited. Um, as kind of a punishment for being a, a thorn in the side of some government officials. Well, they audited me and they looked into my RRSB contributions and so on. And uh, fortunately, I had pretty good records. So when I submitted them all, 
it turned out that they owed me $32.36. So I thought, God, you've got a good sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and, and God's looked after you. And uh, uh, on your, in the twilight of your time here, uh, you, you took on the provincial government and you wrote uh, uh, totalitarianism. And everybody expected you to kind of tone it down. But you went uh, number two, number three, I think. Or, and uh, right. so you, you, you were, you didn't back down right till your very last day. So I can, you have been a, a great example for all the men, well, the, the whole diocese, so. Well, that's good of you to, to say that, and that's nice to hear, but uh, I just like to think I did my job. That's all. Well, I was at a few few of the farewells, like the, well, the installation of Bishop McGratton, where you got a standing ovation. You were at the, the Padre night uh, with the knights and the men gave you standing ovations. And unfortunately, the media never got wind of those things. They, they, all they did right to your last day was uh, take shots at you. And uh, I appreciate how you uh, wore it proud and, and, and did the right thing, as you say. So. Well, Jean, I really believe that sometimes you, you have to lead and you just hope that others will follow and imitate some of the things that you say and do and, and will pick up the baton and carry it on. And uh, in our society, we, we have a lot of uh, anti-Christian thinking out there, a lot of neoliberalism. And uh, what I think is necessary is for Catholics, both lay and cleric, to stand up at times and push back and say, we're not afraid, we've got something uh, to tell you, we've got something that believe we believe will enhance the common good and add to the society itself and promote the kingdom of God. So our, our message is, uh, is accurate, it's truthful, it's inspired, it's God-given, and uh, I don't think we should be timid. I really believe that we should be perhaps a little more aggressive than what we really are at this time because so many people seem to have lost the way. And that's that's so true. So, and many of those lost people, uh, I know I've talked to you over the years about it, is is the young men. I worked with Youth at Risk for a number of years. And so one of the segments that I've put into these interviews is, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Mm. Well, I was very fortunate because I, I had a, a wonderful relationship with my own father. And uh, being the eldest in the family, I think we broke one another in. I mean, I taught him how to be a good parent, a good father. And uh, I think he taught me how to be a good son. And uh, he showed me, took the time to talk to me, to advise me, to share with me to treat me as an adult as I grew older and particularly as I became 18, 19 and was trying to find my own way in life and look at the possibility of, of a priestly vocation. I found him very supportive. He was always encouraging me and uh, supporting me. And what I saw in him was just this 
ability to function for the sake of the family, to be very attentive to the needs of those around him. And he was extraordinary in dealing with a crisis. He was always a wonderful man. He, he loved my mother dearly. They had a good relationship and uh, he was true to himself and, and he lived faith. He was a very moral man and uh, had a good sense of what was right and what was wrong. Even later on in life, when I would go back and, and visit my parents and so on, frequently he would, at the supper table, stage situations and he'd say, no, I, I got a question for you. And he would elaborate this question. There would usually be some kind of a, a moral issue when seeking enlightenment. And of course, being the bishop in the family, I was regarded as the expert. So I was supposed to know all the answers. So I would tell him what I thought. And then he had turned to my mom and he said, see, I told you, I knew it. I knew it all along. But he had that sense of that feel for what is right. And that's why when the, if you been in my confirmations, I know I always stress to the young people, four rules. Number one, do what is right. That's what I always would tell, say, someone who is 18, 19, 20, whatever. Do what is right. I've been telling those kids that for years now. Uh, I don't know how many I've confirmed, but in 30 plus years of doing confirmations, do what is right. Do your best. Treat others as you would like to be treated. And remember, you are special. Those four rules, I think, are bedrock. And if we build on those uh, simple rules in life, I think we'll be very, very happy and win eternal life. And yes, I appreciate, I may have been at a few of those confirmations because you confirmed six out of my eight children and uh, one on each end is, uh, uh, I don't think you confirmed and and that advice that you give is so sound. I, I remember my, my, well, my father's still with us. And, and growing up, he told me that you have to like the guy in the mirror when you shave every morning. And you have to do the right thing. So it's, it's, it's so important. And, and young men need to know that. So I appreciate that, that uh, story. Now, I don't know if you know this, Bishop, but uh, whiskey in Gaelic is Ishkabaha, which is water of life. And you have led so many of our men over the years to the true water of life. And I, I hope that you keep praying for us as we try to continue your work here in the Diocese of Calgary. So thank you for joining us. I, I pray that we can have one of these together one more time. And uh, before this COVID thing ends in the near future, so. It will eventually. <laughs> it will. All right. This has been another episode of A Dram with Friends, and please contact us at dram at godsquad.ca. And if you like the video, please like and subscribe. Good day and have a great evening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dram with Friends. Please 
Email us at a dram at GodSquad or go to GodSquad.ca and support this mission.